So, uh, have you ever sat down and given much serious thought to the idea of heaven? And I mean, not, not just the, the fact that you'd like to end up there someday, but about what it'll actually be like. And, and I suppose, you know, maybe I have more in the last year or so after losing both of my parents within nine months of each other. But I think that for all of us, as the years pass and we watch more and more of our family and friends pass away, that it's only natural to ask questions about the hereafter. To ask real substantive questions that go beyond just the kind of the few half-forgotten Sunday school lessons and the uh, the flimsy kind of ethereal images provided by popular television and movies. And the only real place to do that, the only place to get those answers and to process those thoughts is in God's Word. But, you know, even when we do, the truth is, uh, it tells us a whole lot more about what heaven is not than about what it is. So much so that one expositor has written that heaven will be the place of no mores. Heaven will be the place of no mores. A place of no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. A place where there'll be no more sin or sickness or separation from those we love or from the full and unveiled presence of the God who loves us. And precisely because we know that's true, we can also know for sure that in that place of all those no mores, that there'll be one constant that we will most definitely carry with us from here to there, and that is the reality of praise. The same kind of praise that's the core focus of our psalm text today as we come to Psalm 145, uh, and that Charles Spurgeon has said will be the primary pastime of heaven. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. I invite you to, <clears throat> to turn to Psalm 145. And this is superscribed a song of praise of David. And King David writes, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and kind in all his works. 
The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him, and He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. And brothers and sisters, that is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You that You are kind in all Your works, generous in all Your words, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger or we'd be destroyed. But Father, we thank You uh, not only for your love and mercy in all of those ways, but we thank you for the truth and goodness of your word, uh, a word that we can only come to know through the intermediary uh, intercession of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask that you would come now, that you would fill our hearts and minds, that you would take away every distraction uh, outside so that we could hear and see your word, because, Father, we want to see Jesus this morning. Amen. <coughs> so I ask you, uh, if you've ever thought much about heaven, but you know, now that we've kind of narrowed the focus to praising, let me kind of refine that to ask, have you ever thought much about our praising and our worship and about why we do it? Because I was actually reading a story about a lady that was, was well-known for her praise, an elderly lady uh, who was well-known for her faith and, and for her joy in the Lord and for her boldness in, in expressing that praise publicly. And this lady would go out and, and stand on her front porch every morning and shout, Praise the Lord! But unfortunately, right next door to her lived kind of this grumpy uh, old man who was an atheist. And, and he would get <clears throat> so angry and so aggravated at these proclamations that he would go out right after her and shout, Hey, lady, there ain't no Lord! And this went on for years, right? So the lady's faith kept growing and growing and, and the man's anger kept getting deeper and, and more resentful and well of course time went by and hard times set in on the lady and she decided to to pray for god to send her some help so she goes out on her front porch again shouted as she always did praise the lord but but god i need some food having a hard time lord please send me some groceries well the next morning of course the lady goes out and on her porch there's this big bag of groceries just sitting there waiting for her and, and she starts shouting you know, praise the Lord and getting excited. But just as she did, her, her grumpy old neighbor leaps out from behind the bush and says, I told you, there ain't no Lord. I bought those groceries. God didn't. She looked stunned for a second, and then she started jumping up and down, clapping, praising God even louder. And she said, praise the Lord. Not only did he send me groceries, but he got the devil to pay for them. <laughs> Sorry, Shirley, I don't mean to embarrass you in front of your daughter. <laughs> but that's the, that's the kind of joyful, optimistic, heavenly-minded praise that I want to talk to you about today from our psalm text because the psalm that we just read, uh, it has a very unique and significant place in the overall layout of the collection of this sacred music that we've been looking at and, and not just the fact that it puts us only five away from completing our close to three year journey through it. I think, am I right on that, Daniel? Is that five? Do I count today's or do I, is that four away? Either way. <laughs> uh, our journey through that, that book of Psalms, but be, because this Psalm, though, 
uh, has that unique place because without a doubt it is the crown jewel of David's prophetic poetry and it's the pinnacle of his psalms of praise. In fact, uh, even the superscription is distinctive in saying, as I read to you, uh, a psalm of praise of David. Some of your translations may render it David's psalm of praise. And that title is used only of this one particular psalm, his last one, as a matter of fact. Uh, it's his final hallelujah, I guess you could say, this side of heaven. Uh, and the theme that really rounds out the whole rest of this book, and that's a good thing. Because honestly, a lot of the songs in Israel's hymnody are kind of on the sad side, aren't they? Uh, written as one commentator has said, like music in the midst of a fog-bound day. But here in Psalm 145, the sun is shining, all is well. And like we've seen before too, David uses the superlative repetition to kind of drive this home. That's why he says uh, over and over in just two verses, that we read, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. And so his kind of triple resolve here indicates the sincerity of his intentions to put the Lord first in everything. And not just in the externals of worship, but in the private motivation behind its outward expression. And we know that because the Hebrew word that he uses here to bless uh, is barak, and it means... Uh, there's actually a better picture, I should say, uh, in Hebrew than it is in English. Because in our human context, when we say we're going to bless something, it's generally as a superior to an inferior, right? Like if I say, I'm going to bless your plans to do that. Or I put my blessing on that project. Or when a father says he'll give his blessing to marry his daughter. But you see, David, when he says here, I'll bless, he means exactly the opposite. The very word he chose shows he isn't trying to, in the slightest, suggest that God would ever want or, or need or wait for or even accept what we think of as a blessing from a mere human being. Uh, no, to bless in, to Barak in a Hebraic sense means to kneel in adoration. It means to bow down on both knees with uh, upturned empty hands and to recognize yourself in that lower position. And so here King David, as the Lord's anointed leader over God's people, lowers himself, not just in physical posture, but in heart and in mind and in attitude. And he praises Almighty God as the king above kings. And David is so moved by that whole theme that he just can't hold it in. And so he says, as we read this morning, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And so he says that, uh, says that to us because even though praise starts on the inside to be fully praising there should be some kind of outward expression right that's why i said my mouth will speak the praise of the lord and just in case anyone thought that uh would ask david if that kind of praising was just for him and for his own personal kind of private occasional use he adds and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever and so it's for all creatures and it's for all of time 
Because as we said, praising is the only activity that we're called upon to do now that we're going to continue to do in eternity. Because we will never get to the end of it. Just as we read in verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And David doesn't mean we can't find it. But rather that we will never find the end of it. That we'll never exhaust it. That even 10 billion years from now of time spent with him in glory would never be enough to fully fathom or completely comprehend his greatness or to contemplate the depths of his mercy or the heights of his holiness or the limits of his love or of his worthiness to be worshipped. And when you think of praise and worship, I actually read a definition of it that I've shared before, but I think it really fits here. It comes from a man by the name of William Temple. This is what he wrote. He said, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It's the quickening of the conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of our mind with His truth, the purifying of our imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of our will to His purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration and praise, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. Except we don't always come by that very naturally, do we? See, we need uh, a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit to work that within us because most people don't come into worship prepared to fully give our whole selves over to God like that, do we? See, all of us have brought sins with us that need to be confessed first before we leave. All of us have brought questions that need to be answered and problems that need solutions. All of us have brought burdens that need to be lifted and anxieties that need to be calmed and fears and frustrations and depressions and all kinds of worldly distractions that we need to be rid of first. But God is never going to take all of those things away from us unless he takes all the rest of us too for himself. Because you will never find rest and peace and resolution to all the issues that you face in life until you find them all in him. And the only way to do that, the only way we find them, is through praise and worship. The praise and worship of the one uh, who, who David says, the Lord who is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. See, we do that by realizing that real worship happens when we offer ourselves completely and wholeheartedly to God as we find ourselves caught up in his splendor and caught up in his holiness through the mercy that he has shown us in Jesus Christ. In fact, if you think about it, later in Scripture, uh, the Apostle Paul presents God's mercy as his strongest argument for giving ourselves over to him. If you're following along, Romans uh, chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, this happens when we recognize all that God has done for us through His Son. Through Jesus, our healer, our grace giver, our dead raiser, sin forgiver. And I need that because I'm a sinner. And sins have deadly consequences. But while I was still sinning, Christ died for me. He took my place, and in doing that, He took my sin not just on Himself, but into Himself, taking my cosmic rebellion against the creator and the ruler of the universe and exhausting the wrath of God 
and his punishment that I deserve so that I'll never have to. And if you're in Christ, he did that for you too. No matter what you've done or how you've lived prior or where you've come from or what you look like. Because David said in our psalm this morning, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. And I love that passage. Just that thought alone should be motivation enough for us to give our whole selves to God because where would we be without God's love and forgiveness? Right? Where would you be without God's presence in your life? What kind of hope would we have without Him? See, see, those kind of thoughts alone should be enough to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, but we aren't actually going to climb up on the table here, right? No. You see, Paul's use of the expression living sacrifice and David's experience of worship it remember set against the backdrop of the old testament sin offerings in the temple and so for us today in in the light of those symbolic forms and offerings and promises of the old covenant being fulfilled in jesus it means that just like those people of israel presented their animal sacrifices to the priest we're to hand over our bodies to god in gratitude and in celebration of all that god has done for us and you see, in that act of consecration, we don't give our dead bodies, but rather we make a living sacrifice. And then once we do that, we have to, like Brother Don often says, once we lay our all on the altar, we have to have God's help to stop trying to crawl back off it again. <clears throat> right? To stop trying to crawl back off that altar and actively, volitionally offer ourselves to God all the time because being a living sacrifice implies life. And life is an everyday continuous experience so that we can be, as I've said before, not a community of people who meet just once a week to worship, but rather a group of daily worshipers at home who meet once a week to do it together as a family. Does that make sense? We need to be a community of people who don't just meet once a week to worship, but we need to be a group of daily worshipers at home who meet once a week to do it together as a family. Because worship is, is not just a church activity. It's a life activity. And it's not a once-a-week event. That's why A.W. Tozer wrote, if you will not worship God seven days a week, you will not worship Him on one day a week. <clears throat> because worshiping people are changed people. It's reflected in their walk, and in their talk, and in their personality, and in everything about them. Right? And I know all, all of you who've uh, come to Bible study or Sunday school have heard me say way more than once uh, that having a genuine encounter with the Lord Jesus is like being hit by a dump truck because you are never the same again after that, right? The incident would leave a permanent impact on you that would affect the rest of your life and give you an incredible story to tell about what David describes this morning as the Lord who is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. You see, and that's the fountainhead from where all true praise originates from and finds its fullest purpose and that is in response to the person and work of Jesus Christ because brothers and sisters the more we learn of him the more we're going to want to praise him that's why J.I. Packer uh, theology professor used to say to his students all true theology leads to doxology I want you to think about that for a minute all true theology leads to doxology so now we're kind of familiar with that word doxology but maybe you never really understood it fully or put a lot of thought into it so just as a brief explanation 
A doxology is really just a praise thing. Right? It comes from two Greek words, doxa, that means glory, logos, that means word, or to say. So it, it's a praise thing that we use to glorify God, like the one that we sing every week together. Right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so what, what Professor Packer and the Apostle Paul and our psalmist today, King David, are all getting at is that our praise, our doxology, comes in response to God's gracious plan of redemption through His Son on man's behalf. And that great saving truth will forever be, as the old hymn says, our theme in glory to tell that old, old story of Jesus and his love. And to be able to do it free from the impositions of sin and sickness and stress that keep us so sidetracked down here. Right? You see, in heaven our worship is going to be perfect. And it's going to be eternally unhindered. And I usually imagine myself, I hope you're kind of like me, I uh, hope you're no different than I am, that sometimes when you go and try to worship, whether it's in prayer or praise or whatever, the distractions of all sorts try to crowd in. Try to fill up your mind. Is it just me? <clears throat> right? Past failures. Present temptations or, or this big to-do list that never gets done. Uh, but you see, the day is coming when we will worship perfectly without any worries that wear us out down here week after week. You know, John Newton was a guy that knew a little something about that. He was the former slave ship captain who repented and later became an abolitionist and a protestant pastor same guy who wrote the words uh, to amazing grace he also wrote this he said weak the effort of my heart and cold with all my warmest thought but when i see thee as thou art i'll praise thee finally as i ought because you see our participation in praise down here is preparation for it in heaven and so here here's the point of all this here's the big challenge in light of everything that we've read and, and talked about this morning, uh, have you, have I learned to praise God down here? Have we learned to praise God in good times and in bad times? H have we learned to praise Him in plenty and in want? Have we learned to praise Him in times of peace and in spite of the pandemic? Because, brothers and sisters, if we have no desire to praise our Savior while we're here on earth, what makes you think you're going to want to do it for all of eternity? Right? If you don't long for and look forward to and prioritize your presence in God's house with God's people to pray and to praise and to participate in public worship and the means of grace that we share with the whole communion of saints living and departed for this little space of time on the Lord's day, will you really be ready to do it on the last day? If you aren't looking eagerly for Christ's appearing, can you really say you want to be included in his inaugural parade through the New Jerusalem? If your life is not characterized by praise for all that we have been promised in this life and the next, can you honestly say you know where you'll spend it? And so today, if you're not sure, if you don't know that you know that you have a place prepared in heaven with the one who is the object of its unbroken praise. And, and you feel the, the pricking of the Holy Spirit at your heart and at your mind. Uh, I say to you today, today in Jesus' name, don't leave here without doing something about it. You don't know how much time you have left. Repent and believe the gospel. For those of us, though, 
that know that kind of praise, that we know the kind that's our foretaste of glory, be encouraged. Because as David said this morning, the Lord is faithful. He's faithful in all his words. He's kind in all his works. And we will, brothers and sisters, praise his name forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray today. Father God, we are uh, looking expectantly for the returning of your son. And Father, we pray though uh, that as, as John said, that we won't shrink back at his coming, that we won't be ashamed of whatever we're doing when he appears. Uh, and so, Father, we ask that you would just be with each one here now. If there's even one, Lord, that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, if they don't know that they know that they have a place with you in heaven, if they uh, search their hearts and find that uh, they, they don't know that moment of repentance and the, the great peace that is available only in you, Lord, would you reach out sovereignly right now and change that heart, open that mind, and stop those ears as only your Holy Spirit can do. Father, please bless and protect your people until we're together again. And continue, Father, to draw us all closer and closer to you through Christ our Lord. Amen.